Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. But he's, a, he's the serpent, he's the dragon, he's the devil, he's, the, he's Satan, he's the day star, the son of the morning, the anointed cherub that covers in Ezekiel 38. He's also called the tempter, the ruler of demons, Beelzebul, the evil one, the enemy. He's a liar, he's the father of lies. He's a murderer, the ruler of this world, the god of this age, the angel of light, believe it or not. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio. Today, we learn of another great sign. The scripture says, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. Again, we are reminded that this is a sign. This creature was not literally a great fiery red dragon, but the dragon represents his nature and character. The dragon had great power and claimed royal authority. The crowns, or diadems, represents his presumptive claim of royal authority against the true king. He wants to be considered a king. Now let's join Pastor Rob for today's lesson. For in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. And the only scriptures they had at that time were the, was the Old Testament. Specifically, you know, Genesis through, through Malachi, or even uh, some of those other books might not even have been written yet. And so it speaks of the nation of Israel. Now go on to verse 2 there. It says, And then this woman, being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Now this nation of Israel, this woman that's portrayed, she cries out in labor and she's in pain to give birth. And, you know, when, when we look at this, it's really amazing because all throughout the Old Testament we see scriptures, prophecies spoken of when Jesus would come into the earth, how he would come into the earth, through whom he would come into the earth. And there's very explicit details, very explicit details. And even before Jesus was born, the nation of Israel had already undergone great oppression, great uh, oppression, in Matthew, we find Herod the Great wanting to destroy him before he was even born, having heard the news that there was a prophecy that the Messiah would come through the line of Judah and from Bethlehem. So what does Herod do? This demon-possessed, I believe, man who was completely power-hungry, he decides to snuff out all the children two years old and younger in the town of Bethlehem in the surrounding areas to make sure that he takes out this king who was to be born, that, uh, that we just read, this king, this everlasting father, this prince of peace. 
That was his desire. But Israel has always been in this time of, they've always been in pain. And up until Jesus' birth, they went through untold agony all throughout their history. All throughout their history. Israel has endured a lot. In the Holocaust in, in the 1940s, a Nazi Germany, over 6 million Jews were exterminated in gas chambers and ovens and mass graves. In 1948, they endured countless suicide bombings. And, and even uh, recently, it, it slowed down quite a bit because they built, um, they built electric fences, electronic and electric fences, to keep those suicide bombers from bombing, and that's done wonders. You remember back in the 90s and the early 2000s, there was all kinds of suicide bombings on buses and everything. It was happening a lot. But, you know, um, but we see Israel coming as a nation in 1948, the War of Independence, the very moment that they declared themselves a nation, immediately, immediately, there, were, there was a war. All the Arab nations, including Egypt, came against them on the very next day that they declaimed that they became a nation. There was the Sinai campaign in 1956. The War of Attrition in 1968. The Six-Day War. And in 67, the Yom Kippur War in 73, the Lebanon War in 82, the Gulf War in 91, the Second Lebanese-Lebanon War in 2006. And ever since then, we've had president after president, United States presidents, trying to broker a deal. And it's a futile thing. It's a noble concept. They've tried so hard to have peace deals and offer two-state solutions. And many of those deals want them to give up their, the Golan Heights. If you've never been to Israel, it's a wonderful uh, time to go. Go this next year, if you can, in March. But the Golan Heights is a strategic place. It's up on a mountain, and it's right on, the, right on the border of Syria and Lebanon. It's a very strategic place. Israel should never give that up. Because then you have the enemy's tanks fo- 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 pointing down to you in the valley. Not a good idea if you're a person of strategy. And yet... So many have tried to get them to give up that land, give up that land. So many trying to pressure them, even presidents. Thankfully, our president has not done that. He understands the things that are important to them, and he's not going to pressure them to give that up. He's going to help them. So Israel has always had to fight. And this little piece of land about the size of New Jersey, this little piece of land is theirs by divine decree, by God. God gave it to them, and Satan and the enemies of Israel, whom he has inspired, want it as well, and they will fight to the death for it. And I find it interesting that although it's mentioned 500 times, at least in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, Jerusalem is not mentioned in the Quran at all. That's the, that's the Muslim's holy book, the Quran. Jerusalem's not mentioned. And yet it's something they hold to be so reverential, yet it's not even included in their book kind of makes you scratch your head, doesn't it? Because it belongs to the Jews. It always has, and it always will. In fact, I love what it says in Leviticus, chapter 25, verse 23. Who does that land belong to? It belongs to God. It says, the land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. This is the Lord speaking. You are strangers and sojourners with me. And then in Genesis, chapter 12. When God spoke to Abraham to bring him out of the Ur of the Chaldees, 
The Lord finally appeared to him and showed him all these things and gave him this wonderful covenant. And he said, he appeared to Abraham and said in verse 7, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. It belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything on the earth belongs to him. And all he wanted was this state, this country about the size of New Jersey. This is my land. You can have the rest of it. All I want is this, and I've got a plan for that land. And boy, the devil goes, if that's important to you, it's important to me. And I'm going to thwart every attempt I can have to have anything going on there that's of any value. And the devil knows the Bible better than all of us. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what's coming. He studied the book of Revelation. He knows it, folks. He knows his time is... Can you imagine how unnerving that must be? That in the end, you lose. No matter what. There is no one more powerful than God. If you're being oppressed, if you're being beaten up, if you're being um, uh, oppressed by the devil, struggling with sin, guess what? His day is coming. Guess what, folks? He loses. And I'm looking forward to the day when the nations, everyone will look upon him narrowly. They'll look upon him like this. Is that the one who caused all the problems? That's his end. And I'm looking forward to that day. I'm really looking forward to that day. But Israel has always been in pain. It's been in labor all of its existence. It's always, and it will continue to be in great pain until the very end, before the return of Jesus Christ to the earth and his second coming. Satan hates her. He hates Israel. And guess what? The media hates her too. The media hates Israel. They are very extremely biased against Israel. I remember one time I was uh, actually working at Xerox, and I had the chutzpah to send a letter to the editor of CNN. Because <laughs> all of their, it is so blatantly biased against Israel. They hate Israel. And I sent them a letter, and I laid it out. I was very nice about it. I include scripture. Never heard a thing. Not even, a, even one of those canned emails. We got your response. Thank you very much. We'll review it. And, you know, if we want any question, you know, have any questions, we'll email you back. Nothing. Crickets. Didn't even get a thank you for, you know, Anything. So, Israel, this woman, this Israel is going to give birth to a child, a male child. But first, it says, in another, verse 3, it says, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. It's interesting, as we look through the scripture, there are many different names for Satan. And here is just a, a list of some of them. This may be most of them. But he's, a, he's the serpent. He's the dragon. He's the devil. He's, the, he's Satan. He's the day star. The son of the morning, the anointed cherub that covers in Ezekiel 38. He's also called the tempter, the ruler of demons, Beelzebul, the evil one, the enemy. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. He's a murderer, the ruler of this world, the god of this age, the angel of light, believe it or not. Belial, he's the prince of the power of the air. He's an adversary, and he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we see the very first name of Satan in Genesis chapter 3. We see it. Genesis chapter 3, what does it say? After the fall of man, or actually before that, I'm sorry. It says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And you remember that the, the serpent, who was devil incarnate, came and deceived Eve. God had told them, stay away from this one thing. You've got this 
whole beautiful garden to eat. I've given you everything you need, but I want you to stay away from one thing. Aren't you glad that God had to give a choice? He gave a choice. And I bet that fruit looked really good too. And I I bet, especially once God says, I don't want you to eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, all of a sudden it became everything. You know, it's like everything faded out and it zoomed right in. And it's like, oh, it looks so beautiful. I wonder what it feels like. I wonder, let me just touch it. Just let me touch it. No, don't touch it. No, go ahead. Don't. No, you do it first. No, you shut up. Shut up. They grab it finally, and then they're they're looking at it, and they're caressing that fruit. Wow, that's really beautiful. I wonder what it tastes like. Well, you eat it. No, I'm not going to eat it. Shut up. Then they take it, disobeying the command of God. But he's known as a serpent. He's cunning. And the Bible says that we are to be as gentle as doves, but as wise as serpents. The serpent is very wise. He's an old entity. He's been around for a long time. And do you think he's learned a lot in the, in the 7,000 years that he's been around since the beginning? Do you think he's learned a lot? Do you think he knows your history? Do you think he knows your ancestors? He knows exactly who your ancestors are. He could tell you whether you came from Shem, Ham, or Japheth. He was there when they were born, and he tripped them up. He seduced them to sin, and he's been doing it ever since. Aren't you looking forward to the day when he's canned? Looking forward to the day when he's put in a slammer. It gets even better, though, because he's not just going in a slammer. He's going into the lake of fire forever. He will burn. He'll never die. We know this to be the devil or Satan because Revelation here in in chapter 12 tells us in verse 9, it says... It defines who this is. So we don't need to worry about who this person is. We know the woman is Israel. The great dragon, it says in verse 9, was cast out. And he defines it, that old serpent from Genesis chapter 3, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. Notice, he deceives the whole world. After the church is removed, the world is going to be deceived. And that's why it's going to be so difficult. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for before you give your heart to Christ? Are you waiting so maybe you, you, think, you think to yourself, well, if the church is removed, then I'll give my heart to the Lord. Well, how do you know that? The deception is going to be so great. You have no idea. I have no idea. Have you ever been deceived by the devil himself? Very few of us, the devil could, could care less. He sends his demons, lesser demons. Believe me, the only person who's been tempted physically by, Jesus, or by the devil himself is Jesus himself. We have no idea the temptation and the deception and the pull on our flesh when you're tempted by him specifically. Thank God we won't have to, he can't do that to us and, and, and have victory. I'd hate to be the one who has the bullseye on my head where Satan has to come after me. Because believe me, you're going to go through it. Even though God is with you. So the dragon was cast out, that old serpent who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth. We're going to see him at this time in history, in the tribulation period. He will be cast out. And guess what? His angels, these are the demons. These are demons. They are going to be cast out of heaven. And you may be wondering to yourself, wait a minute, I thought that, how can they be in heaven? Well, you can read Job. The the angels, even the, the, the fallen angels can appear before God even right now. Satan can approach the throne of God right now. Can you believe that? That's what the Bible says. Read Job chapter 1, beginning in verse 7, I think it is. And then read the first chapter of Job chapter 2. He comes right before him, and he's the accuser of the brethren. He's accusing 
us before God day and night. Did you see what he did? He claimed to be a born-again believer. And look at him. He's over there drinking a beer. Look at him. He's over there smoking a joint. Look at that. Can you believe that, Lord? He calls, he calls upon your name, but he's looking at stuff he shouldn't be looking at. Accusing, accusing, accusing. Notice this great dragon had seven heads and ten horns, seven diadems on his head. It's clear that the beast or the Antichrist will come from a revived Roman Empire. We know in Jan- Daniel chapter 2, God gave to Nebuchadnezzar a dream and he defines this statue and it really defines all the the, the world empires throughout history up to the very end. And he started with Nebuchadnezzar, and the head was of gold. That was Nebuchadnezzar. And then the, 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 the silver part of the, of the breast was Persia. The thighs of brass were, were from Greece, and the legs of iron were Rome. The Roman Empire ended, but there's going to be a revived Roman Empire coming soon to a theater near us. And it's going to be a revived Roman Empire probably stemming from the European Union, for all we know. There's already ten nations there. But Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. Daniel defines it for them. And then finally, um, and, 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 and Daniel goes on, and he, he has a vision as well of, of this time that we're looking at right now. Back you know, uh, you know, in the 5th and 6th century B.C., Daniel gets this vision in Daniel 7. And it says, after this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceeding strong. Notice the imagery. Notice the words that are used. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It, has di- it was different from all the other beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Does that sound familiar? We just read it. Ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up from among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And here, in this, and there, in this horn, were eyes like the eyes of a human, and a mouth speaking pompous words. Who is this little horn? It's the beast. We know him as the Antichrist. He's coming. He's going to be a very well-spoken man, I'm sure. In Daniel chapter 7, Again, in verse 21, in another vision, Daniel says, I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came, which is a a reference to God. And a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms, shall devour the whole earth. And he he gives the description again in verse 24. The ten horns, he even defines it for us. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this last kingdom, this revived Roman Empire. And another shall rise after him, and he shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words. And down in verse 25, it says, Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half a time. You're going to see that phrase. We've talked about it. You're going to see it. It's referring to this last half of the tribulation period, this 36-month period, or three and a half years. 1,260 days. 42 months, however you want to slice it. And then in Revelation chapter 13, which we're going to get into next week, what, what does the very first verse say? Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. Well, you know who he is now, but notice, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his, head, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. 
We're going to define who that is in the coming weeks. Notice in verse 4, though, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour her child as soon as it was born. This third of the stars being dragged with his tail, stars are often called angels as well. And so when he draws a third of the stars, that's a third of the angels in heaven went with this guy. Think of what a deceiver he is. And think of the madness of it. He is a created being, and yet he has the chutzpah to say that I'm going to put my throne above the throne of God. I am going to be the one that's going to be worshipped. And then he, got, you know, he becomes a rock star, and everybody follows him on Twitter. <laughs> right? He's got a great Facebook page. third of the angels go, wow, man. It's amazing to me that it appears that some of these angels have free will. They can, others don't, but these apparently do. They have free will, just like you. What a dangerous thing free will is. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. And notice, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth. This woman, Israel, was about ready to give birth to the Messiah. All the prophecies have already been told about his birth, and now it was coming time. So you see in chapter 12, it's like a panorama from the very beginning of Israel's history, from their inception, right up until the very end. We're going to see it in very uh, uh, abbreviated form here. And so she's ready to give birth, and he's coming, this, this, this dragon, to devour her child as soon as it was born. And we see the part of that when Herod tried to kill Jesus by ordering all the infants. It's recorded for us in chapter 2. You remember that. You can read it. We're not going to take the time to go through there. But Herod was so jealous of of, of, his, of his own power. He was so protective over it, and his, he was willing to murder anyone who might be a threat to his throne. So much so that the Roman emperor, Augustus, once joked, and he said this, it's better to be Herod's pig than his son, because he murdered his sons. He murdered his wife. He was a murderer. He's a madman. He was a narcissist. <laughs> he was a power-hungry man. And when Herod's attempt failed to kill Jesus, the devil used the Roman Empire and the religious Jews even, the the Pharisees, the Sadducees. He even went to one of Jesus' own disciples, of his 12 disciples. He chose one. He knew Judas. Before Judas was even born, the devil knew his father, and he was watching. And when Judas was born and he saw this young man and his characteristics and how he was forming, the devil says, oh, I can use that one. He really, likes, he really likes money, and he's a thief too. I'm going to use him to betray the Son of God. I'm going to use him. And certainly that ultimately did it. Satan never stopped. From the very beginning, just pounding, crunching, smashing all the way. He's not going to give up, but one day he will be taken And again, I can't wait for that day. But notice in verse 5, she bore a male child. This woman, Israel, she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Who is this male child? Who is it? It's Jesus. Jesus Christ. And he's going to rule with a rod of iron. What does it say in Psalm 2? Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion, God the Father says, and I will declare the 
the decree, the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you, and ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. The rod of iron, here it is. We look in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, we see who this male child is. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. And it's not only there, but it's also in Revelation chapter 2, when Jesus was dictating a letter to the, the church at Thyatira. What did he say? And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. And he, speaking of Jesus... I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our journey through the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.